a lot of people experience what they would call a, a spiritual encounter with psilocybin in particular. Um, it tends to open up the possibility for connection with something that transcends the self. That's why you know chaplains and spiritual care providers are particularly interested in working with psilocybin in end of life. I, I think I can say that with a fair degree of confidence, but then as soon as I say that there will be an exception and there's someone who worked with psilocybin and not understand it from a spiritual lens right, right. at all, and so we have to just be respectful of all of the diversity of experiences and views, worldviews. Hey, 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 it is Keith Fiveson here, and welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast, where we explore the intersection of mindfulness, spirituality, and personal growth today. And we're excited to have Dr. Jamie Beachy joining us from the Psychedelic Science 2023 MAPS Convention. Dr. Beachy serves as the faculty lead for Naropa, Naropa's Master of Divinity program, and is deeply involved in the world of psychedelic therapies and spiritual caregiving. So let's dive into our conversation. All right, all right, all right. Dr. Beachy, uh, thank you, first of all, for joining us uh, today. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to become involved in both the fields of spiritual care and psychedelic therapies. Thank you, Keith. It's wonderful to be here with you today at this very energetic and um, inspiring conference with more than, um, well, you can gather the exact number of participants, 12, but it's in the 12,000 12, range, so really incredible for Denver and for the field of psychedelic care and psychedelic science. So my journey um, began as a you know, a, a practitioner of Christianity throughout most of my life and growing up here in Denver. And then in college, I decided to, you know, study religious studies and was really interested in philosophy and theology of religion, but found my way into chaplaincy as a profession. And so I've worked many years as a professional chaplain in healthcare, first as a Christian minister, and then eventually over time, growing into more of an interreligious view of, of professional chaplaincy, learning from so many people coming, you know, into those, um, caring um, experiences with me from a deep diversity of traditions and so learning from those traditions mostly from the patients and clients and also from other you know other colleagues and so now practice as an interreligious chaplain and you know being present there with with people in those moments of trauma and loss and death and dying you know working in hospice and palliative care trauma care and also in the field of ethics. But in those moments with people as they're really deeply suffering um, from these experiences, I, over time, just became really compelled by the research around psychedelic, psychedelics and how that might address some of the experiences that people have in those darkest moments, you know, of their lives. And that psychedelics might help, you know, integrate and heal and maybe um, transform those experiences from just a sense of, stuckness or, um, you know, in the MAPS MDMA studies, you know, transforming PTSD into something um, more, um, more stable and more healthy in the person's life or transforming, you know, end of life fear and distress into something expansive and supportive and maybe um, 
having less less of that fear and so just really compelled by the science started to pay attention to it and become more involved and then ended up having the you know the fortune to be on the the maps mdma assisted therapy study as a co-therapist mm -hmm. and learning about about that through training with maps and and through the supervision you know of, of really skilled maps mdma therapists and now i'm at the place of trying to bring some of these insights into my role as a um you know, assistant professor at Naropa University and director of education for the Center for Psychedelic Studies, Naropa's new center for um, psychedelic discourse and training and um, exploration. And so we're really excited to be leaders in the field during this time and look forward to how chaplaincy might continue to evolve as the field of psychedelic care evolves. Well, you know, it's a very exciting uh, time indeed, and uh, having 12,000 people here is uh, absolutely incredible. And we've heard from some wonderful leaders, including you, you've had some sessions here. And uh, I'm wondering, as you start looking at uh, the development and the uh, path of psychedelic therapies uh, as a chaplain and a spiritual care educator, how do you see the role of chaplaincy evolving in the context of psychedelic therapies? Well, I really feel that chaplaincy has a lot to contribute to the field of psychedelic care and therapies. Um, professional spiritual care providers, you know, are trained to know our, first know ourselves really uh, well and the theological, metaphysical commitments that we bring to the field of psychedelic care or professional chaplaincy or other roles that we may find ourselves in in hospice and and so to know ourselves and to understand our own metaphysical spiritual theological commitments and 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 know how to um you know to 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 bring the best of that into the space with another person without imposing our bias or inter interfering with the ways that their own intelligence is is informing their process in a psychedelic journey, let's say, and maybe the religious beliefs and practices and the commitments they bring are really need to be the priority. And so we know how to do that well. And chaplains also are trained to be, especially chaplains that, I, that train in a contemplative capacity, I would say, know how to really bring this presence that is um, calm, stable, non-reactive, um, able to receive whatever is in the atmosphere with generosity and open-heartedness and not, um, you know, react, not add distress to an already distressing situation. So there's there's the sense of presence and also really navigating the non-ordinary states that people experience in psychedelic care. So knowing how to really support people as they're navigating these sometimes really scary spaces, sometimes very expansive and illuminating. And just all of this territory, you know, is familiar to anyone who's done this deep inner work um, in their own, you know, theological, metaphysical landscape to explore, you know, either through meditation or perhaps through, through deep yoga practice or other spiritual practices, just this human and perhaps trans transcendent or transpersonal you know 
landscape of, of experience and is, is known to most chaplains through their training and their spiritual commitments. So how psychedelic care will transform chaplaincy is interesting because you know, not all chaplains are open to this at this point and not all religious professionals are open to thinking about psychedelics as a spiritual path. And, um, but many are, many are, and I would say probably the vast majority are, especially as this brings relief to human suffering and really contributes to health and well-being. I think there is a lot of openness, but there are taboos and other perhaps obstacles that, that will need to be addressed in the society. And, and perhaps they're there for good reason to slow us down a little bit in our enthusiasm and, and um, bring some caution forward so that we don't, we aren't overly enthusiastic and move, move into this a little more quickly than is really beneficial. Well, that's wonderful. And it's great that you're seeing that kind of interest you know, specifically because in our society we find that there are like three things that you're not supposed to talk about, you know, sex, politics, and, and dying. And I think sex and politics are off the table at this point because, you know, we have a society where certainly there's a lot of that going on, sex and politics discussions. But still, the, the big, you know, the big area of taboo seems to be death and the discussions around death. And I'm wondering, you developed a curriculum for advanced, uh, an advanced certificate in palliative care chaplaincy. Can you share with us some of the key elements of the curriculum and how it prepares chaplains to work in the palliative care setting? Yeah, so chaplains receive generalized training, you know, in how to be present to people in crisis and, and illness and loss, but many um, in their programs would not necessarily receive uh, the more extensive training in palliative care. And so the certificate is designed to bring chaplains and spiritual care practitioners, perhaps nurses or people from other disciplines as well, into a greater understanding of the field of palliative care in general. So how the medical system cares for chronic illness and and um, those who are approaching you know terminal diagnoses and end-of-life care is included as well of course and so first it's just orienting to that that field in general and the best practices and the you know ways of understanding um, chronic and serious illness and interventions and then we bring in uh, spiritual assessments and different models for approaching the spiritual dimension of palliative care and hospice and how spirituality is so much a part of you know approaching a, a terminal illness or a chronic illness or a cancer diagnosis or any kind of serious experience with one's health just brings you into this this metaphysical or existential you know crisis a lot of times and their chaplains are really there to support the existential distress um, that people can experience at the end of life or demoralization as it's sometimes called in the field that sense of um, despair or um, just loss of hope that can come up and so there are many models that come from the field of medicine nursing social work you know, counseling that we bring into the to the discussion with um, the learning around spirituality and, and palliative care, and this is a good introduction to the to the landscape for people who have some basic training in in professional spiritual care, but are looking for a little bit more spe of a specialization. I would love to see a section on you know psychedelics and psychedelic care. Um, that would be a, a beautiful contra you know addition to 
to the certificate or perhaps a, a certificate for, for spiritual care practitioners um, eventually, and that is, is surely down the road, um, whether it's something that I would develop or others would, would bring together, because there's certainly a lot of interest and a lot of need. Well, that sounds like a very comprehensive program. It's something that I'm attracted to. And I, I think uh, for most people in the field, they certainly want to have an understanding of, you know, in the spiritual area, working with people who are uh, at the end of life, concerned, worried, and how to really have that presence, that's their therapeutic presence of being with them. And uh, it's wonderful. So I'm, I'm wondering in terms of the psychedelic aspect, you had uh, your work with MAPS, uh, the MDMA Assisted Therapy Phase Three study. Uh, what have you observed regarding the potential benefits and the challenges of integrating psychedelic therapies into spiritual care? And are we really talking about MDMA here? Or are we looking at, you know, like in John Hopkins' example, looking at psilocybin? Is there a perspective? I'm just wondering your view and your experience. Sure, and just first to be clear that I'm speaking, you know, from my own experience, not on behalf of MAPS or MAPS PBC. Um, but just to say that that the that all of the all of the um, psychedelic therapy modalities, I think, would benefit from a, a, attention to the spiritual dimension of health. So whether it's MDMA-assisted therapy or psilocybin therapies, there is certainly um, the person coming into that therapy context, or the persons, if it's a group, you know group context, certainly bring their spirituality and their commitments and their religious experiences and the whole of who they are into that, into that space. And so um, spiritual care practitioners and just an attention to, to the spiritual dimension of that care is certainly important. And I look forward to the ways that the data will be um, um, more deeply considered over time so we can understand what perhaps what were the spiritual dimensions of the therapy that was taking place there, you know, as the, the data will be available, and I think there'll be m much interest in looking into that more, more thoroughly. Um, but certainly, the role of chaplains will be hopefully meaningful over time in all of these modalities, along with other clinicians, you know, in this interdisciplinary capacity, because you obviously need a physician, and you need people that are attending to safety, and um, Psychotherapists are, are of, of course, key to the development of all of these fields, and social workers and nurses. And my I, my hope would be that we'd have this interdisciplinary unfolding of these fields. And as the field also clarifies what it will take to become an ethical, capable, competent, you know, psychedelic practitioner, um, regardless of the of the background that someone is um, originally coming from in their training. Well, that sounds uh, wonderful. And, and uh, you know, back to the question, I mean, I'm thinking about the MDMA versus the psilocybin. Do you think that there is a specific difference uh, in terms of the actual use? Uh, because MDMA is, is certainly, a, you know, a heightened uh, sense of uh, self, a bliss self, a bliss awareness. And you get the same, kind of the same impacts. Uh, MDMA question of whether or not it's a psychedelic. Uh, whereas perhaps psilocybin would be a, an amplifier or a, a real connection, perhaps. I'm, I'm wondering your, your thoughts about that. 
Well, I would really direct you to the published research and um, to some of the experts here at the conference who are speaking into that more with more specificity. I think each of these medicines has their particular brilliance and um, you know, MDMA is often referred to as an empathogen because of the ways that it increases, um, you know, from a, a chaplaincy perspective, what we might call warm-heartedness or, you know, compassion, self-compassion, compassion for others. Um, psilocybin is um, also can evoke those those similar qualities, you know, and they're. I guess that's a that's a deep question that's hard to to cover in a in a conversation like this. But I would say that. Um, yeah, that they each they each have their their particular brilliance, and now all of these um, brilliant and dedicated and really committed researchers who are here at the conference this week are teasing out the particulars of you know psilocybin in in contexts you know obviously end of life care and terminal care psilocybin has proven to be really beneficial, but um, there are people exploring, you know, whether psilocybin can be beneficial to chronic pain or um, um, other types of conditions, perhaps physical conditions, as well as spiritual and existential um, psychological conditions. And so the field is just burgeoning in this really incredible way. And it's exciting to see all of the resource and just all the brilliance that's going toward um, clarifying exactly how and when, you know, these medicines work and for whom. And so, even though I'm a spiritual care clinician, I, I think the science is, is the place to look for some of the um, insights or, you know, how and when and for whom. And, um, and, and so, um, yeah, I could give you my personal experience, you know, <laughs> with, with, the, uh, with psilocybin, but I mean, I think that there is a, certainly a, a lot of people experience what they would call a, a spiritual encounter with psilocybin in particular. Um, it tends to open up the possibility for connection with something that transcends the self. That's why, you know, chaplains and spiritual care providers are particularly interested in working with psilocybin and end of life and just people that are seeking existential support in general or even just expansion. Maybe there isn't necessarily a problem, but, you know, people who are looking for just to enhance their spiritual development. And so, um, I, I think I can say that with a fair degree of confidence, but then as soon as I say that there will be an exception and there's someone who, you know, right, will right. <laughs> work with psilocybin and not understand it from a spiritual lens right, right. at all, and so we have to just be respectful of all of the diversity of experiences and views, worldviews. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the, um, uh, first of all, I love the answer in the sense that everyone is different and everyone's body chemistry and experiencers are different and certainly that's why we have the research and the science and you know the assessment uh, and again still there are exceptions right it's not it's not a one-all done you know uh, kind of an approach uh, one of the things you talked about uh, though I thought was very uh, you know important is this palliative care team the understanding that it's not only about the spiritual caregiver the chaplain you know, the ability to go ahead and then have someone who ministers or administers uh, the medicine and uh, also a, a team that's available nearby to go ahead and work, psychotherapist and so on. Um, we're at this uh, 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 convention and we see a lot of 
uh, in the exhibit hall, particularly a lot of these sort of churches pop up. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly um, I'm wondering if you can discuss uh, the importance of ethics and spiritual caregiving, particularly when working with patients undergoing psychedelic therapies. Yeah, ethics is a really broad topic and certainly one that's really dear to my heart and also just so important for the field at this time. Unfortunately, you know, there are um, people that will take advantage of um, others in non-ordinary states of consciousness and just the vulnerability that comes with um, substance, you know, use and um, <clears throat> the expansive and vulnerable states that they can evoke. And so we have to be really... Um, attentive to accountability for those who are, you know, allowed to legally or, you know, offer psychedelic therapies and that they're, they're not um, doing that in an isolated way that puts the, the client and the, the patient and also the practitioner, honestly, at risk of violation. And, and so the field is really working on ethical guidelines and and that is, there are a lot of people who care about this, who are thinking about it deeply, and there's been a lot of conversation about this at the conference this week. In terms of religious practice, I think the, some of the religious communities are also making commitments to um, accountability, transparency. You know, too often in the religious world, um, when misconduct happens, you know, and, I mean, outside of the world of psychedelics, um, sexual misconduct or you know, financial exploitation, or there's a, a resort to secrecy and and trying to protect the institution rather than the person who was harmed or the people who were harmed, and that includes, you know, the um, criminalization of substances actually for particular communities that people from marginalized communities have have experienced their substances, you know, as criminalized and. Um, and then other, um, in other cases, you know, there's there's been um, permission for exploration, you know, among other communities like who are less less at risk of, of being imprisoned for exploring, you know, substances in, in other in in ways. And so, I think that the religious communities haven't always, um, you know, sometimes their their taboos and um, and um, restrictions have impacted impacted communities of color in particular in, un, in um, harmful ways. So ethics is really a deep, deep issue and, and something that I hope the, the churches, the um, religious leaders, the psychologists, you know, the researchers are all having this deep conversation and that we can value transparency, accountability, learning from each other, um, speaking openly with each other when things don't go well really thinking about ethics more broadly than just a one-on-one -on -one behavioral kind of a thing, but really a, how are we living together as a society in a good way? Are we protecting those who need protection? Are we, um, <coughs> you know, um, <coughs> addressing unfair laws and um, restrictions on certain communities in relationship to others? Are, is our research representative or is it just mostly focused on, you know, um, 
a certain certain kinds of privileged populations and so our data isn't accurate I mean there are just so many layers to that question that it's a it's like a uh, but in almost every talk that I've been in here at the conference this has been a part of the conversation and that's really heartening and so I think that the field is aware of, of, of a lot of risk and also a lot of potential for for coming together in a good way to bring some really positive structures and solutions and ways to address um, you know this this field and this work in a, in a good way that might contrast um, how some religious communities have have dealt with similar issues in the past or even the psycho psychological community as well right yeah and the the ethical question I think is uh, really where the guardrails are and the ability to really keep us on the road going forward you know following the lines or following the right practices so that you know we're not uh, in you know uh, you don't want to be uh, you know the headline for today's news story uh, especially uh, given the particular issues and the vulnerabilities that individuals are going through I'm wondering when you uh, look at uh, uh, interreligious dialogue and uh, you know the importance aspects of spiritual care how do you incorporate uh, you know this concept uh, into your teachings and practices, especially as you mentioned, working with diverse populations, you know, people who are maybe of, uh, you know, the BIPOC community, people who are not necessarily uh, appreciated, uh, seen, heard, uh, and or, you know, uh, just uh, at this point in their lives, uh, really haven't been uh, uh, maybe cared for in the right way through a spiritual practice or a, a traditional religion that they've been a part of. Yeah, I would say the first um, invitation would just be toward appreciation and developing relationships with communities that are meaningful. And so <clears throat> I think appreciating the spiritual practices that people do bring because they're, they're sometimes not embedded in formal religious communities. So it could be, you know, music, dance, um, any kind of uh, resiliency building community, you know, activities I think are part of one's spirituality or ways that people connect and take care of themselves when they're in distress or, or suffering. And so expanding our view of spirituality would be the first invitation to include, um, you know, being, I mean, for many, many people, probably more, more people historically than, than not, if we look into the deep historical view, you know, connectedness with, with the natural world and a feeling of belonging as a part of this interrelated web of nature is um, more commonly one, one's uh, spirituality than going to a special place and offering, offering prayers in like a, a temple or a, or a church or a, a building, you know, and so recognizing that people are drawing from spirituality, whether or not they're part of some kind of formal organized religion or not, um, <clears throat> whether or not they're, you know, following a leader or that spirituality is just a part of our human, you know, inheritance and in our biological um, way of being in the world that we're not alone. We're intimately related to family, to loved ones, to community, to the community of the more than human world. And so taking all of that into account when you're present with someone in a psychedelic session you know it might be that in several sessions I've been a part of it's been maybe the tree outside of the the window that's visible that becomes um, 
part of the spiritual experience of the person or especially if you can be outside you know connectedness with nature is, is so important but also you know having also an appreciation for organized religion so if you're someone who's more attuned with nature and maybe has rejected organized religion for reasons having to do with um, no longer feeling that you know you belong or maybe um, feeling a sense of um, of critique of the you know history of colonization and all of the ways that let's if we take Christianity my own tradition of birth as an example you know has caused so much harm so many people have turned away from that tradition but if you're in a session with someone who is coming from a traditional Christian view to have appreciation and to have worked through your own you know maybe feelings of um, aversion to that tradition or rejection of something maybe that has harmed you yourself or others so to have worked that out before you get into that space or your attitude toward the Muslim community or or Judaism and having some knowledge of those traditions you know if someone if someone who's Jewish is in a session and they say you know I'd really like to share the Shema and you think and the person's like I've never heard of that what is this you know you should at least know the basic kind of prayers and if you have no idea what the Lord's Prayer is, then you'd probably look it up, you know, before you go into into sessions with people that are coming from a Christian culture, because that could come into the space. And it's okay, we can't know everything for everyone all of the time, but to know the, the have a basic appreciation of, of most of the traditions that people are likely to bring in with them from their communities, and how those traditions work in, in at least a, a general sense, and then holding back from presenting yourself as, as an expert in their tradition of course you know because just because you know a prayer or two doesn't mean that you really know the tradition either it's just a it's just an opportunity to connect and to say you know to to acknowledge that that the person and their experience is welcome right so there's yeah. this aspect of uh, spiritual care when we talk about that it's really understood caring for the individual caring what their spiritual path is, caring about their story, understanding that everyone has a story in them to go ahead and tell, and everyone wants to be seen, heard, and recognized, rather than moving from moving into fear, not, not feeding that, but really helping them to bring out the story and helping them to be present for whatever, that, whatever they're going through, and, and that really requires your sense of empathy. Yeah, and I would also say just having a warm-hearted curiosity, just this person before me has lived this life that's been complex and it's included loss and um, joy and heartbreak and, um, you know, every human experience, especially, you know, someone who has been alive for some decades and you think this person brings this rich journey with them and how can I just have this open-hearted, curious, humble, you know, hospitable. It's like walking into someone's home. You know, how can you respect, I'm in this person's home, I'm in their, their spiritual home, and I don't want to, like, uh, you know, insult their food or, or you know, not, not have thought beforehand about, you know, where, how I, how I might bring a spirit of generosity in there. Maybe I want to bring a gift with me. You know, I just want to come with... A deep appreciation, honoring that I've been invited into this space, and that it's um, personal, tender, sacred space to be be sitting here with this person, and how to um, just do that with integrity and 
and that's where mindfulness can be just be really meaningful you know to have a practice you're bringing in the space and not just all of your distraction and reactivity and you know but to really pay attention with with love that's wonderful and and certainly love uh, you know we've heard it before but love is everything it's the ability to open up the ability to be present the ability to have compassion all of those wonderful things and you've said it so well I love that idea of going into someone's home because we're all residing our bodies our experiences our mind our body our spirit what uh, you know what we experience in our lives is is really sacred it is part, a part of our home if you will um, so uh, I'm wondering uh, uh, just to go back to your position as the faculty co-director for Naropa's Center for Psychedelic Studies what are some of the center's main objectives and initiatives and how do you envision uh, that uh, uh, impact on the future of you know psychedelic research and therapy do you have a sense of that yeah, so a colleague and I, Dr. Sarah Lewis at Naropa University, along with <coughs> some other close colleagues and certainly a lot of um, other people that attend to, you know, the operations of the university and fundraising and just the infrastructure of Naropa, came together and <coughs> decided to launch the Center for Psychedelic Studies at Naropa. And it has really evolved to include other leaders now who've come to to help us develop um, programming there. So my role is, has evolved to director of education for the center and Sarah's role is now the director of training and, and research and <coughs> I hope people would visit the website to see the many other people that have con contributed you know to, to the development of the program. It's really been a success and we are now the center is in the second year of offering a certificate in psychedelic assisted therapies to practitioners from a diversity of, of you know, professional disciplines who have some experience working in their fields who've come together to learn psychedelic assisted therapy and the um, MAPS education that prepares one you know, for eventually working in the field of MDMA assisted therapy with you know, some other, other steps required. Um, beyond the educational experience <coughs> is included in the training. Yeah, and we also have, uh, you know, a focus on psilocybin care and ketamine-assisted therapy. Each of the, each of the um, <coughs> practitioners who are, are in our certificate program will have a ketamine-assisted therapy experience or breathwork as part of their training, so they'll, they'll <coughs> practice, you know, caring for another person in a real, real context mm. with supervision. And outside of the Certificate in Psychedelic Assisted Therapy, which is mindfulness-based, it's um, the only, in my understanding, contemplatively-based, you know, training um, in collaboration with MAPS that, that's offered out there. Um, along, along with the certificate, I'm in my role as Director of Education focusing on developing degree program opportunities, too. So we're very hopeful that in a few years we'll have a BA in psychedelic studies. Mm -hmm. We're working toward that as a as a um, academic goal for the center, and also a concentration in psychedelic studies in the ma at the master's level. Um, and courses, you know, we already have many faculty in Europa who are teaching in the areas of psychedelic psychedelic studies, psychedelic care, 
psychedelics in eco-psychology, psychedelics in literature, you know, psychedelics in art. I mean, there are many creative, um, you know, leaders at Naropa already, including this material in their courses. So we're just gathering that insight and interest as well as the therapeutic, uh, you know, modalities that are developing and bringing all of that into the degree programs is really um, important important to me personally because I think we want you know students who have grants perhaps from their VA benefit or <clears throat> people who can get financial aid you know to be able to do this do this learning and as part of their degree program experience and not just have to apply for a, a psychedelic therapy um, certificate program you know postgraduate in, in some years but people that want to be learning all, all along and I, I will say too that our certificate we have uh, we offer many BIPOC scholarships, and um, are really committed to you know addressing diversity in the field and promoting diversity and justice and equity in the field, and are working also to bring in an indigenous advisors. So one of our indigenous advisors, um, Belinda Aracho, is speaking I think at this moment in one of the big halls, okay. you know, right. and she's. Uh, been offering a lot of her wisdom here at the conference this week and so we're we think that we are our values are in the right place and our commitment to the field is there and there's a lot of excitement right now in Europa about bringing the insights of this Buddhist inspired university into the field of psychedelic care and education. Well, I really really I'm excited for you it's exciting news indeed uh, and lastly uh, uh, one last question <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who are interested in pursuing a career in spiritual care or psychedelic therapies, what advice would you give them as they begin their journey uh, and, uh, you know, your perspective around that? Sure. I ran into a recent high school graduate yesterday while I was <clears throat> um, volunteering at the Chakruna Institute table. I'm an advisor to the Chakruna Institute, and they're one of our partners. Um, and he said, I think I'm only one of the only young people here. I'm trying to, I'm really excited to get involved in this field. And he was, I was helping him connect to some of the other Gen, Gen Z, you know, or maybe even Gen Alpha people who are here at the conference. Um, so to people of that age, you know, who are moving into maybe thinking about going to college or um, studying, traveling, learning, I would say, um, you know, find out if there is appreciation and interest um, among the the if we take the, the university experience as, as one example, find out if your professors are knowledgeable and interested in psychedelic care or psychedelic science or literature, whatever your, wherever your interest is, and, and move toward those people, you know, instead of thinking of, well, I have to go to this institution or that one, because some of the big institutions, they're catching up, but sometimes the smaller places like Naropa are the, the places that are a little bit further down the road with thinking about, you know, this in terms of, especially at the BA level, of, of learning. And then for people who are practitioners already working in the field, or perhaps offering therapy, chaplaincy, working as psychiatrists or physicians, nurses out there, um, body workers, mm -hmm. there are many training programs to look into. And some of them are very oriented toward profit, honestly, and just getting as many people through as they can in the quickest you know the quickest way possible like 
of course, we'll find in a capitalist society where, where people see that there's opportunity for profit here. And so just be cautious and really look into the values of the organization, you know, talk to alumni, perhaps look into um, what is the mission? Is it, you know, nonprofit, university-led? Um, is it more for-profit? Are they taking ethics seriously, reciprocity with indigenous traditions and communities? You know, and um, and pay attention to the ways that the field is developing standards and, you know, you want to align with the training organizations that are really involved in those conversations around standards and are taking seriously collaborating with other communities. And, and lastly, I'd say, you know, be, really beware of um, people pronouncing themselves as spiritual leaders. I know yourself as a, as a yogi, you would have knowledge of, you know, traditions that sometimes misrepresent or people that misrepresent themselves or, you That's know. Copyright also. Yeah, exactly. If someone's copywriting, you know, a blindfold or a um, something in, a, in the therapy session, be cautious and maybe, um, yeah, just, just, just beware and take your time and be patient too because the field is going to have room for you. There's going to be more than enough room for all of us to do the work that we want to be doing in this field and sometimes there's a sense of urgency that takes over and people might sign up for programs because that's the one they got in and they have to do this now and I would say just take a mindful approach you know be patient listen for what really is right listen to your intuition talk to community members people who care about you and think about how to do this really in, in the right way not in the fast way Wow. Well, Dr. Jamie Beachy uh, at Naropa University, um, you know, certainly look into it. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experiences with us today. Uh, I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing, both in spiritual care and psychedelic therapies. And we're excited to see how this field really evolves and continues to evolve and intersect with science and the, the data. And to our listeners, thank you for joining our, our Mindfulness Experience podcast today. Until the next time, stay mindful and stay curious. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.